Ephesians 3, starting with verse 14 and going to the 21st verse. Hear ye the word of the Lord. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory of the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. amen. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. Amen. Uh, for the time that we are going to spend together, I want to talk a little bit about a pastoral prayer. Prayer or communication with God is a staple of our Christian lives, is it not? Almost to the point of it being a knee-jerk reaction. Somebody tells you they're running into some trouble financially, physically, emotionally, relationship-wise. What do we say? We say, I'm going to pray for you. Even if we don't really say, even if we don't actually pray for them, it's a knee-jerk reaction. We say it because that's what Christians do. We're supposed to pray. Uh, we all most likely have a standard prayer that we say over our food before it's time to eat. Might be blessed as food for the nourishment of our bodies and the hands that prepared it. It might be good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat. It might be Jesus wept, because that's the shortest verse in the Bible. It, it, but we have a standard that we do when we pray. It's become a habit almost. We get up in the morning and we pray. We, we pray before we go to bed. We pray before we take a test. We pray before we go to an interview. We pray before any great undertaking. It's a habit. Myself included. And I've had to remind myself often not to just make it a knee-jerk reaction. Not to just say the same rote things over and over again. Because part of my job as a pastor spiritually is to cover the people I am assigned to in prayer. Constantly. Publicly and privately. In my secret prayer time, in anything that I do that is part 
of my responsibility. And I'm reminded of this job because of the passage that we read, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The passage that we read is actually a prayer for a church. See, the letter to Ephesians, I, I tell you I'm partial to it the more I study it, understanding that if it wasn't for churches like Ephesians, we wouldn't be here. We would have had to have been born Jewish to get to Jesus. But he opened it up to not only the Jewish people, but the Gentiles, those who were not born into the family. We were adopted and became heirs and co-heirs with Christ. We got into it. We weren't. I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as fast as I could. But the letter to the Ephesians is, is a, it's about grace and exhortation. $5 word for encouraging people to do something. Uh, they spend the first three chapters talking about the grace of God and the grace that allows us into the family, the grace of the unmerited favor, the gift that we get in order to get access to Jesus without having to work for it. There's nothing we can do to earn that salvation. That's what the first three chapters are about. And then the last three chapters are, are, are an exhortation about what to do as Christians. What you heard in your hearing is a prayer and a doxology to cap off what the author has said about God's grace. God's unmerited favor, God's decision to let those of us who were not born into the family still get family status. And it starts off, the passage that we read, starts off with, for this reason, because just a few verses before that, they are exemplifying boldness in God. Matter of fact, it says in verse 12, in whom we had, or, uh, uh, go up to 11, it says, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence and faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul is praying for the church because they are going through some trials and tribulations. You have these people who weren't ever together before, actually from different sides of the spectrum, the Jews and the Gentiles, trying to come together in this conflict. They don't eat the same kind of foods. They don't practice the same kind of habits. They don't talk the same way. But they are supposed to be in the same building for church. They are all learning to worship the same God. And so Paul is praying for them. He is praying for them. First point, he's praying for them. He's praying that they get the spirit of God. Let the church say spirit. spirit. He prays that the spirit of God will strengthen their inner beings, the inner man, what's on the inside of them, what they are made of. And he says in the, in the text, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I was wondering why you would put some sort of thing like that in a text, and I had to study it. I've learned 
that back then they really did not pray on their knees. Uh, uh, the people in the biblical times when they prayed, they stood. Sometimes they would also rock back and forth because they felt like you couldn't serve a living God offering a dead prayer. But rarely did they get on their knees. Knees were reserved. Getting on your knees was reserved for begging for a favor from a powerful or important person. And so what the Apostle Paul is trying to do here when he says is for this reason I get on my knees. He's saying that uh, God should be considered an important and powerful person, culturally speaking. You know, they say you can tell what somebody worships if you look at their checkbook. Say so you can tell what somebody worships when you look at how much time they spend on something. And so what Paul was saying to the church was is this is who we need to get on our knees for. This is who we need to culturally ask for these important favors from. Not the rich man down the street, but we need to ask from God. If you can get on your knees for an important person, how much more important is God? <laughs> I, uh, at my previous appointment, uh, had a meeting with the church in the area. It was a different denomination, and I'm going to leave the denomination out of the conversation. But I went to visit the church, and they had kneelers like we have here at the altar. And uh, they, I said, so I had not seen kneelers in any other church before except the Catholic church. And so I went to said church, and we met and broke bread afterwards, and went to eat, and, and I said, oh, you've got some really nice kneelers on your, on your pews. That's pretty nice. He said, yeah, we bought this church from a, a Methodist church. Uh, that's, that's, where the, that's why we have kneelers, because our denomination kneels for nobody. He said it as a joke, but it sucked with Because, <laughs> you know, some of the meanest truths are told in a joke. And he didn't mean it in any kind of malice, but it got me to thinking about that when I was prepared for the text. Kneeling for God had not been a custom. So we ought to prepare ourselves, our inner man, our inner woman, in order to kneel for God, because God is the most important person. There is going to come a time where you cannot turn to anybody else. They might not be available. Preacher's Bible might be closed. Mom might not be able to answer the phone. Dad might not be anywhere around. Our friends and family may be gone. And we need to be able to turn to God. Because that is when you have to know that greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. That's when you got to know to look to the hills from which coming your strength. That's when you have to understand that God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We should pray that on a regular basis to let the Lord strengthen our inner being. So he prayed for the spirit of God. And then 
He prayed for the Son of God. Let the church say, Son. He prayed that Christ might be more and more at home in our hearts. The text says uh, to dwell in some translations. In the, in the Greek, that's used for property uh, or properly to make a home, to make a living at home, to be comfortable because it's one's residence, to be at home. When you are at home, your speech is a little different. You are more comfortable with everything you do. You can even make yourself at home at places that are not your home, but you are able to make yourself at home at places that are not your home because you have established a relationship with the person that owns the home. When you are at home, you know your way around, whether you can see or not. I can get up in the middle of the night and make it to the refrigerator or to the restroom or wherever I need to go without hardly opening my eyes because that's my home. I know it. I've spent some time with it. I've been there for a while. I'm quite familiar with everything. I know where the nails stick up too high in the floor. But that takes time. And he prays that Christ may be more and more at home in our hearts. You know, I have a few friends that have all adopted a rule at their house. Uh, if you visit the house more than three times, you no longer have to ask to go to the refrigerator. The first three times, if you say, hey, you know, do you have anything to drink? They'll actually get up and get a drink for you and pour it and give you the glass and the juice, water, milk, whatever. They'll do that for you. But if you go to their house, one of my closest friends, DJ, has this rule as well. But if you go to DJ's house more than three times in a row and you say, I'm thirsty, DJ will look at you. You know where the refrigerator is? Because if you've been over his house more than three times, you ought to have made yourself at home. We ought to be able to make Jesus at home in our hearts. And the only way that we can make Jesus at home in our hearts is to spend some time with him. Spend some time at the church. Spend some time worshiping him. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time reading the word so that he'll know us and we'll know him. He'll know his way around our situation because he's been around there before. He's not somewhere hidden. And you want Jesus in your heart. And you want the strength of the inner man not only because you need God in time of trouble. But because I, I say this a lot and I'm going to sound like a broken record for as long as I'm here. Uh, you all will preach more sermons than I ever will. You all will be the only Bible some people read. And when the time comes, what's in your heart will come out. The Bible says in Proverbs to keep your heart with all vigilance, for it flows the springs of life. And uh, Jesus, when he was talking about what defiles a person, he said in Matthew 15, 18 to 20, 
that but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles, for out of the heart comes evil intention, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with one of our unwashed hands does not defile. You know, when you memorize something, what do you say after you memorize it? I know it by heart. That means you're able to call upon it when you need it, because it's in you. And what better thing to put in you than Jesus? I would love to have Jesus inside my heart when called upon in times of trouble, as opposed to some sort of malice or wickedness or evilness towards another person. We are Christians. We follow Jesus. We ought to have Jesus in our hearts. And so we pray. Paul prayed for his church. He prayed for the spirit of God to strengthen them on the inside. And he prayed for the son of God to be in their hearts. And then he prayed for the love of God. He prays that they might be able to grasp the full dimensions of God's love. Of the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. I find that more and more applicable as I go to the cemetery, seminary. Um, you know, we learn all of these different things. We, we, uh, we, we learn how to exegete the text and avoid eisegesis, which means put your own interpretation on it. We read the Greek and the Hebrew and all the different versions of it. And, you know, we spend a whole lot of time reading a bunch of people that wrote a bunch of books about what they feel the Bible said at that particular time. Some of it makes sense. Some of it, I, I really look at these people and say, I can't believe you're teaching pastors. And some of it, I look at them and say, I can't believe you get turned loose on a pulpit on Sunday. But that, that's neither here nor there. Um, but the problem, the, the issue is, is we learn a lot. We gain a lot of knowledge. But some of the best preachers I've ever heard, one of whom I will type up my sermon and send to so he can look over, doesn't have a seminary degree. Matter of fact, in our group of preachers, this person is so good, people have said I quit. Jokingly, but I'm going to take all the thousands of dollars I spent on software, Bible software, and all the libraries of books and everything I have on my iPad. I'm going to put it up because the best preacher in this group, the one that can break down the text the best, the one that can talk about the love of Christ, didn't go to seminary. So this love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. And then the other reason the love of Christ I feel surpasses all knowledge is people don't really care what you have to say until they know that you care. So you have to show love to people outside in order to even get to the relationship about showing them about Christ. So they have this love that surpasses any degree that we can get, any title that we can get. So that when we look back at our lives and wonder how we got to where we got. Wonder how we were able to do what we did. All we can say is, but God. For if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? 
the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. And then we have this concluding doxology or, or, or big old $5 word for a formula of praise of God right after we get this Lord, this, this love of God and this love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Paul closes out the prayer letting us know about the capability of the one who sent him. Apostle Paul closes out the prayer letting us know <laughs> whom the prayer is addressed to. That the Father is definitely qualified and is able to abundantly do these things but uh, uh, a better translation of the word that they use for exceedingly and abundantly is actually super abundantly in English present in great quality or quantity more than adequate over, uh, over sufficient well supplied something abounding a, a river abundant of salmon uh, richly supplied as with resources and then you put super in front of that an article of superior quality grade size of the highest degree of the highest power of extreme or excessive degree very good first rate excellent God is able to do better than we could ever imagine and I can imagine a lot so better than I can imagine so with God on our side in spite of what they are doing to us as a people institutional racism may have been gone but it's quite clear that we still have racist people in institutions no matter what's going on at the job, God can do exceedingly or abundantly above that we can ask. I think it's bigger than what's going on at our jobs, our houses, with us emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially. Our God is bigger than our problems. Our God is able to super abundantly do above all we could ever ask of things. These things in our way are not obstacles to God. But they are opportunities for us to experience his glory. They're opportunities for us to experience God throwing his weight around. That's what glory is. The weight. You know, when somebody takes over something or somebody influences something that needs to be done, we say what? They are throwing their weight around. So we can sit back and ask God to influence our situation better than any person ever could. Because he's God. And he can do more than we ever could ever ask or think or imagine. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.